Thursday, September the 23rd. And this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the Fed prepares to taper and Macron and Biden ease tensions. First, the world in brief. The Federal Reserve signalled that it may, quote, soon reduce its pandemic-era monthly bond purchases, worth $120 billion, perhaps when officials next meet in November. Half of the American Central Bank's policy-making committee projected that interest rates will rise next year from their current near-zero level. Meanwhile, the Fed lowered its forecast for GDP growth in America this year to 5.9%, while raising its inflation forecast to 4.2%. America's Food and Drug Administration approved a third dose of Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine for everyone older than 65, as well as for workers in high-exposure jobs and other people at special risk of severe COVID-19. The boosters are to be offered only to Pfizer-vaccinated adults six months after the second dose. Last week, an FDA panel had voted against authorising boosters for all adults. France will return its ambassador to America next week, following a reconciliatory phone call between the two countries' presidents. AUKUS, a new defence pact between America, Australia and Britain that infuriated France, would have benefited from, quote, open consultations among allies, according to a joint statement though Joe Biden stopped short of apologising. The two leaders will meet in person next month. Shares in Evergrande, a hugely indebted property company, recovered recent losses as the company's chairman, Zhu Jiayin, strove to reassure home buyers and retail investors that their assets were safe. Other investors remained worried about the firm's ability to make interest payments on its dollar-denominated debt due Thursday. On Wednesday, China's central bank injected 90 billion yuan, $13.9 billion, into the country's financial system. Shares in Toast, a restaurant software vendor, ended their first day trading on the New York Stock Exchange, 56% above the offer price, giving the firm a market capitalization of over $31 billion. Initially hit hard by the pandemic, the company eventually saw sales rise as restaurants shifted to online ordering. Dozens more IPOs are expected in the months ahead, capping an especially busy year for listings. Taiwan applied to join the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, CPTPP, nearly a week after China submitted its own application, local media reported. Wang Meihua, Taiwan's economics minister, said she was concerned about China's, quote, sudden decision to join the CPTPP, a strategic trading alliance long seen as a counter to growing Chinese influence. Lebanon's government raised the price of fuel by 16%, the second increase in five days as it gradually reduces subsidies. The country's ongoing financial crisis is among the world's worst in the past 150 years, according to the World Bank. Fuel scarcity has led to violence in recent months, but Lebanon's central bank claims it can no longer afford to underwrite it. And fact of the day, over $1 trillion, 
the sum lost in shareholder value early this year following China's sweeping clampdown on internet technology companies. And now, here's today's agenda. Bitter taste. Food price inflation. The UN Food Systems Summit, held on Thursday, has an ambitious goal for a one-day event. Quote, trigger the transformation of food systems the world over. It hopes to make the global food supply chain fairer, greener and healthier. Ambition is needed. Food prices have risen in 13 of the past 15 months, approaching the peak they reached in 2011. Rising costs have been driven in part by transitory factors, such as China buying up corn and soybeans as feed to help replenish its stock of pigs after a swine flu outbreak in 2018. COVID-19 is playing havoc with global shipping, and droughts have caused poor harvests. But there is little prospect of imminent relief. None of these problems can be resolved immediately, and all might strike again. Global warming also puts supply chains at risk, and attempts to limit exposure may make markets less efficient, raising costs. That's a lot to chew over. Cut to the core. Turkey's interest rates. Sahap Kavjoglu, the head of Turkey's central bank since March, has promised to keep lending rates above the inflation rate to keep prices from rocketing. So with inflation now at 19.25%, a touch above the bank's benchmark rate of 19%, Mr Kavjoglu should be considering a moderate rate increase at the bank's monetary policy board meeting on Thursday. Instead, he seems determined to loosen the purse strings, if not now, then later this autumn. The latest indication came in early September, when the governor said he would make decisions on the basis of core inflation, which excludes food and energy prices, and which came in at 16.76% last month. The lira fell on the news. Recep Tayyip Erdogan, Turkey's president and an avowed enemy of high rates, has been promising cuts since the start of the summer. He may get his wish. Otherwise, Mr Kavjoglu may get the boot. Flying again. South African Airways South African Airways takes to the skies on Thursday for the first time since grounding flights 18 months ago. Its return flies in the face of chance. The firm has been unprofitable since 2011. Cost-cutting measures led to a week-long strike in November 2019, tipping the company into bankruptcy. In April 2020, after COVID-19 squelched travel, the government rejected the state-owned airline's request for emergency funding. Six months later, the finance ministry caved, handing over 10.5 billion rand, $711 million. Now, the government is looking to reduce its ownership. It has nearly hammered out an agreement with Takatso Consortium, a group of local investors, to offload a 51% stake in the airline. Takatso's members have already invested in other assets across South Africa's aviation industry and think their know-how can help turn the airline around. They will have their work cut out. As of last month, its fleet numbered just eight aircraft.
Stepping Out Milk and Migration Millennia before the Mongols burst forth from the Eurasian steppe across Asia and Europe, nomadic tribes found it hard to escape. But around the dawn of the Bronze Age, these technologically primitive pastoralists broke free. Something triggered a huge expansion, shown by genetic evidence to have taken them from Siberia to Scandinavia. A recent study in Nature, a journal, suggests that the something was milk. Proteins preserved in the dental plaque of 46 skeletons showed the spread of the prehistoric Yamnaya people coincided with the adoption of milk drinking. All but one of the 16 early Bronze Age individuals bore evidence of milk consumption, compared with only one pre-Bronze Age skeleton out of 11. That suggests nutrient-rich dairy enabled previously impossible journeys across the dry and desolate steppe. The plaque suggests that cow, sheep and goat milk predominated. But the Amnaya also drank horse milk. As consummate equestrians, the Mongols might have tasted their forebears' good taste. Profile Kono Taro Japan's next Prime Minister? In some ways, Kono Taro is a conventional candidate to succeed Suga Yoshihide, Japan's Prime Minister, as head of the ruling Liberal Democratic Party and, in turn, become the next Prime Minister. His grandfather was Deputy Prime Minister. His father was Speaker of Japan's Lower House and President of the LDP. Mr Kono has served as Foreign Minister and Defence Minister and is currently overseeing Japan's vaccine rollout. In other ways, he is unusual. With 2.4 million followers, he is the country's most popular politician on Twitter. He went to university in America and speaks English fluently. By the standards of Japanese politics, he is young at only 58. His reputation as a maverick was established by taking heterodox stances, such as calling for Japan to end its reliance on nuclear energy, long before the Fukushima disaster in 2011. Mr Kono's unconventional side has made him the frontrunner in the election for LDP president, which will take place on September 29th. Unlike his main opponents, Kishida Fumio and Takaichi Sanai, he has genuine popular appeal, topping public polls by a healthy margin. Many younger lawmakers see him as the best chance to keep their jobs in November's general election and have thrown their weight behind him. But if Mr Kono cannot win a majority in the first round vote, where the party's rank and file have more weight, he will face a second round, where parliamentarians dominate. Despite the support he enjoys, some on the party's right suspect he is too liberal to be trusted. They fear he might take after his father, who, in 1993, issued an unprecedented apology to the quote, comfort women, forced to work in Japanese wartime brothels across Asia. For many in the party's old guard, Mr Kono also seems too uncontrollable to stomach. He has tried to quell those worries by softening some of his earlier stances, such as his opposition to nuclear power. To some, that is evidence of a politician with no core. To others, it shows the mature pragmatism of one serious about governing. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Harold Evans, 
who died on this day in 2020. The camera cannot lie, but it can be an accessory to untruth. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.